Conflict is inevitable. Um, many of us struggle with it, including me. Um, it'd be great if we could confidently deal with conflict and negotiate to get what we want. But unfortunately, a lot of us feel like we get taken advantage of and feel stressed out in those, those conflict situations. Um, so here I am today with uh, Nelly Vieira, and I want to talk all about negotiating and, and because I really think that it definitely is possible for you to get better at negotiating. So Nelly, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, your experience with negotiating? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, first of all, Ollie, for uh, having me here. And uh, I appreciate, first of all, your interest and passion in the whole negotiation subject. Um, well, I am a founder and business owner for um, True to the Core. And um, I wanted to start with that one because when you're thinking about negotiation, conflict resolution, communication, relationship development, um, true to the core is the philosophy and just the basis of what I believe we have to be able to do and be um, mm. in order to get our message across. So when it comes to negotiating, that's the area where more often than not people are not true to their core. Mm. Um, they're more likely to um, move into being something that they believe they should be or saying things that they should say um, as opposed to really developing that rapport or authenticity that establishes the win-win that's necessary. So I deal with people in consulting and coaching on helping you say what you need to say mm -hmm. to get what you want and to yeah. feel good about it. That's yeah, I really different. love that the sound of the true to the core messaging and I definitely want you to elaborate on what that really means and how people can be more true to their core. But I'm also curious, like you said, you, you do coaching and, and training. Um, what do you find people are, are really looking for? Like what, what really motivates them when they, they come to do your coaching and their training Bes besides the surface level negotiating? Like what are they really, really coming to, to get when they want to get negotiating training? They want to overcome is usually what it is. Overcome the fear of failure or losing. Um, they want to uh, avoid resentment or rega regret, especially. Right. Um, so uh, people always feel that they need to second guess a lot. Um, so it's about feeling confident within a conversation. It's about um, feeling that uh, they need to process exactly knowing what they want so that they're focused mm. in that conversation. But it's a fearful thing. I mean, as soon as you mention the word negotiation, people get weird. Yeah. And so what is it about the, the word negotiation or like what, what to you is the meaning of negotiation? Because it's actually funny enough, I before this podcast, I was talking to some some family about negotiating and, and a lot of people assume that they don't necessarily need to learn negotiating. But when I ask them if they want to learn about conflict resolution, they say, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I definitely need that. <laughs> but there's something about the negotiating where people assume, well, I'm not buying a car. I'm not in a hostage situation. I don't need negotiating. <laughs> well, why do you think that is? And, and what to you is like a good definition of negotiation? Well, there's many definitions that the thing that I, I, most appreciate about um, 
why people get irky during the word negotiation is that it indicates a formality mm-hmm. and a lot of people see it as competitive and that it's about the win lose right yeah. so the minute you say negotiate yeah. all of a sudden you know this whole across the table thing starts to become the image that they have right yeah it's like My, you versus me there's, exactly. there's going to be a winner there's no like exactly. we're going to sort this out in a win win and i've got to be better than you Mm-hmm. So negotiation, even I, I often actually tell people just avoid the word. We're not even having a negotiation. We're having a conversation to get to a resolution about something that'll work for you and it'll work for me at the same time. That's basically what it is. So a lot of times, um, and you know, at the beginning of trainings and all that sort of stuff, of course, everybody wants a definition. Uh, but, but the simplest definition, actually, if you really, really are able to conceptualize it this way, it really helps. It's where you think about that people are actually in a process. They get into this conversation that becomes a process Mm -hmm. of trying to move one another. And by moving one another, it's like, okay, you're willing to give a little, I'm willing to give a little. Okay. I'm willing to tell you this. You're willing to hear this. And moving one another towards a joint workable solution. Right. It starts okay. with a need. You yeah. don't you don't have a negotiation unless somebody needs out of the other. Right. That's all there is. Yeah, unless you're wanting to get something. And right. Like you said, it can be for a lot of people very tense situations and where you leave where you feel like uh regret or resentment that it didn't go well. And so people have these, a lot of these frustrations. What would you say are some of the common problems or mistakes that people are having when they come to you and they're looking for negotiation training (laughs) like what are they what are the people who've never really trained in negotiation and haven't learned too much what are they missing out on is it like a mentality thing is it just a combination of things it is you know for the most part we're all capable of it from a technical and um you know your business so you know if you're going into a negotiation or you know you're going to buy something or you know you're going to talk to somebody about something you're very clear on what it is that you are trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that we start falsifying or not being authentic with how it is that we're going about it we're second guessing the things that we need to say Mm -hmm. the confidence which means the fear the fear of I'm going to say something wrong or I'm going to right. tell you too much or so everybody seems to know how to bargain, you know, mm. and this is what we think negotiation is. It's where I go, okay, okay, I'll give you 10 bucks for that. No, 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 no. I get that's, that's not a negotiation. That's a bartering, right. you know, back and forth sort of thing. And that usually ends up in a compromise. Yeah. But what people don't see as a negotiation is all the developmental parts the, the, the ability for me to build enough a rapport with you and not by getting to know you or your kids or any of that stuff. This is, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not the sales schmooze. No. Whether I know you or don't know you, it's about me being able to speak to you very genuinely about what it is that I value in this. Right. So that you'll tell me what you value in this from a reality perspective. The more we actually are open and integral with one another, the more likely we get to a solution pretty fast. It's all the games that people think they need to play when it comes to negotiating. That definitely seems to limit it a lot of the time. Like I was recently actually at a car dealership and I was trying to get a, uh, like I was looking into a new Toyota. Um, I ended up backing out. But yeah, the car salesman, they come at you with this, 
it seems like a lot of like flattering. Like the guy was complimenting. He was like, he, I said my name. He's like, what's your name? And I'm like, Oliver. Uh, and he's like, wow, that's such a beautiful name. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it seems like fake. It's like, does this guy really right. like my name? I don't know. Does he like, so he's saying all these things that seem like a front and it throws me off as, as a buyer. I'm like, this guy seems like he's trying to pull my strings, but it's so surface level. It's like the easiest things to, to poke at. It's compliments, it's flattery, it's things like that. How would you say people can be more authentic if they, even if, let's say they, they work at a car dealership and they, they, they've been instructed to do that type of thing I'm describing, but now they are listening to us and they're, they're thinking, okay, well, maybe I need to alter my approach. I want to be more true to the core, let's say. <laughs> That's cool. Thanks for that. Um, you know, it, it, it's two-sided because you're dead on. Uh, probably from a, sell, a selling perspective or a, or a sales person point of view, um, they're encouraged to try to build rapport. But mm-hmm. nobody actually exercises or teaches you how to build rapport. It mm-hmm. isn't, and, and, the, and the more they are able to say, maybe the guy really did love your name, okay? That, yeah, could, that could, could be, be true. Yeah. But then from the equal and opposite, from your position, when somebody does something like that, in order to test whether it is real or not, we start doing something called testing assumptions. Mm-hmm. And all that means is, okay, is it true that this guy likes my name or is this just one of the ploys? So then what you do is you keep asking other questions or you keep communicating and it's called testing the assumption that he's in genuine or testing the insub- assumption that he actually is genuine. So right. you're, you're trying to get that read, but it's up to you to sort of be, first of all, yourself as genuine as possible. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, asking those kinds of questions that then make you feel comfortable and make them feel comfortable. Right. Everybody's going to do the, you know, the tactical sort of salesperson thing. And it's really unfortunate, even the fact that you mention it in this yeah. day and age, that it still happens that way. I almost find it embarrassing because it's a, it's a lead into, oh boy, I'm going to get ripped off here. This is so typical. And that's the sad part. Yeah. That, that to me is a lot of the time the worst part about those sales tactics. The thing that push you away the most is when you see through what they're trying to do. Like, for example, the same thing with the car dealership. Uh, the guy, I, I asked for a, a bit of a price drop on uh, the Toyota Corolla. A and bit? So, a First bit. mistake. I know. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm trying to learn in this this, this podcast. That's what it's for. So, uh, But yeah, so I asked for a bit. I should ask for a little bit more. But anyway, he goes back to talk to his manager and he, he comes back and he doesn't drop it down as much as what I had requested. But there's a huge smile on his face. He's like, look what I can do for you. Like, we're going to make this happen as if it's like a, it's like Christmas or it's my birthday. It's like, here you go. We're going to be able to do this. But I was like, I I feel like this is such a a typical thing that all they do every time is you ask for a thousand off, they give you 200 off and they, they act like it's uh, the biggest celebration ever. It's true. But you kind of see through it and it it doesn't feel too great. I, I was just going to say, I think that's why, Um, And remember that now um, you're able to actually get a lot more information about really what goes on behind the scenes in there. Um, Meaning that um, just virtually you can look up manufacturer cost. You can look up, you know, comparative pricing. You can look up what the last price that was paid at that dealership for that particular vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that 
um, oftentimes becomes ammunition for you now. Right. So the negotiation part, if you really think about it, it's not that you don't have the numbers. It's not that you don't have the information. It's not that you might not be able to just, you know, on an email demand what it is that you want. It's when you're now involved in that process with another person, it becomes completely uncomfortable. It's either a big show or it's some sort of, you know, tug of war. Um, But very rarely is it one of these things that, okay, let's just be straight. What's the bottom line in terms of what I could, nobody's going to ever give you a bottom line. Mm -hmm. That's why negotiation is necessary because we don't trust that you're saying it's a bottom line. Yeah, and like you said, you can get some information online. You can look up the the dollar values, like the all that stuff of what the cars advertise for. But and that information is great. But there's definitely way more information that's hidden, that's not on the websites, it's not on any pamphlets. And like you you were saying, you're trying to find out this information, so you need to ask questions. Um, what are some good questions, just in general, for? <laughs> Um, I mean, it might vary from specific scenario to scenario, but let's say, uh, yeah, it's, we're, we're, we'll stick with the car dealership scenario. Like what, what would be some good questions to, to you, you ask? Wanna, I, I, I can almost, you know, sort of round that up for you in terms of, um, the types of questions that you want to ask are not the ones just to get more information. The types of questions that you want to ask are ones that then allow the other side to actually feel that you're worth it mm-hmm. um you see i think the thing that people oftentimes forget it's one thing if you can actually prove all your information to be true and stand factually on something with someone and then say therefore this is what you should be giving it to me for right the bottom line reality is they still have the choice yeah it's all about what they choose and are willing to do right. so your job as being the other side and the one that wants is to actually encourage and motivate that person to want to do for you what they might not do for anybody else. This isn't about what the right price is. This is about what are they willing to do for you? So that's where you come in. How Mm -hmm. do you handle them? How do you treat them differently than anybody else treats, you know, a, a car dealership? A salesperson so right away we've got even think in your mind all the assumptions you're already making the typical ripoff artist the guy's gonna be you know able to come up with all the lines blah 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 and now if you go in and you handle this individual and the way in which you're talking to them in a different way and one that kind of says listen I bet you get a lot of the you know typical customers that come in here that just want to fight you to the wall sort of thing I want to just have a conversation with you that says I'm somebody buying a car. You've obviously had to do it for yourself as well. Can we just like get down to brass tacks and enjoy the process of what it is that we're going to be doing here? I know that sounds lame to a lot of people where they say, come on, you're getting really soft with the." On the contrary, what ends up happening is people are going, oh my God, this person is making an effort that nobody else makes. This person actually sees me yeah. as a human being, as right, opposed, yeah. and that's where it starts. For sure, yeah. I, I definitely would think that a lot of people approach those car salesmen and a lot of negotiations as this person's a barrier. Like, I want to get exactly. through them. They're a challenging obstacle, and they're they're throwing things at me that seem like flattery and deception and all of this, but... Yeah, I could see how that would be way more beneficial of an approach where you actually connect with this person 
and you build a little bit of rapport quickly. Um, and so would you say that those are some main components for negotiating is you want to build rapport with the individual or party that you're communicating with. Um, you want to get the information, whether it's you do your research beforehand or you try to get the information through them. And it's a combination of those two things. And maybe you want to throw in like in the word persuasion, like, is there a bit of a, uh, a three, uh, pillar thing that we can use for negotiation here. It's like uh, three pillar. Interesting. Okay. Three. Maybe there's four. Whatever I don't you mean. Know. I just I don't mean, know. Go for it. Yeah. W- w- would you agree with that though? Where you're essentially trying to uh, get all the information that's out there? Because I walk up uh, and I start negotiating with somebody, and I don't know what they know. I don't know what motivates them. Um, I don't know what they're interested in, and so I want to know all this information if I'm really going to be try to be. Uh, persuasive with this person I can't be persuasive with them if I don't know what their motivations are and I don't know the behind the scenes things so you need to ask those questions to get that information but then also be genuinely trying to connect with them and and build that rapport so you don't come off as a sleazy salesman and it's like it's like a genuine (laughs) persuasion thing it's not uh, a manipulative thing think about it though if um, even just in terms of let's say you and I having a conversation um, are you likely to be open and um, willing if you looked at me and the way that I'm talking to you is attitudinal or one-sided or completely demanding? There's there's less interest for you to even get involved. Like mm-hmm. you, you'll do your job, you'll do your job. Just think about what you do on a day to day basis. That's a negotiation in itself. Do I make more effort in this particular area, or do I just do what I need to do? Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. A negotiation isn't about you just being able to prove that someone else should do for you what you're asking for them, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A negotiation has a lot of intention behind it that is based on trust. And I know that people think, oh, you know, don't waste your time trying to build a relationship. Relationships have all kinds of definitions. I can have a relationship with somebody that's only 10 minutes long. It could be someone that I'm just in a grocery store with, but it has to do with how they've served me or what it is that I needed from them or the way in which I had an exceptional need from them and how I manage that will make a big difference to the next person that walks in and believes they have a right to it or that you are simply the service person that is supposed to be responding to my need. So that whole mindset part that you were talking about, that's number one. That It really is about how, how you set yourself up. And I, I have a little philosophy about the three ingredients of, of, you know, you need to trust, understand, and then communicate. And I know that sounds as though, but wait a minute, aren't you communicating through the whole thing to say that? Yeah. But in order to actually ask for what you want or be able to persuade the other person, which is really about motivating. When you persuade someone, that's that moving part again. Now Mm. I understand what you value. Now I understand what's important to you. Until then, 
I can't move you with just saying, oh, you know what? Well, I'm willing to do this for you. And you go, okay, thanks a lot. But that didn't make a difference. It mm -hmm. was just something I just gave away right now that you're willing to take, but it didn't change the scenario right. because it was just easy. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things that go with that, but to be able to develop the kind of, so those would be my pillars if I was going to say yeah. it, <laughs> is just the, the, we spend too much time in the talking in believing that we're going to get our message across right when really it's about really listening to how the other person responds to your questions or where it is that they go or what they put the level of importance into that then you start to recognize what's valuable here and what it is that now I can help in achieving their need so that I get what I want right yeah you you people often don't take the time to try to understand what the other person, where they're coming from. Like in the car salesman situation, you look at them as the obstacle, but it would probably be way better off if you think, well, what is this guy looking for? Like, why does he really want to sell me this car? And why is he looking for that specific price? And when you start asking these questions, you understand them on a deep, deeper level and, and probably build that rapport a little bit more. You know, what's interesting about you, even bringing up the car salesman mm -hmm. is that um, both my husband and I uh, just recently purchased our cars that we had leased for quite well for the typical time that, that you're supposed to lease I guess two or three years whatever it was um, and why I'm even bringing this up to you is because you know everybody draws on the car dealership thing mm -hmm. and yet there it is that I was just sitting here thinking to myself that's a true life experience that we've just had that I almost take lightly because we did build the rapport with him because the guy jumped through hoops in order for us to be able to do exactly what we are financed with from a lease point of view into how we're actually going to own the car because had we stayed with a lease it would have been double the price and the reality is that that wasn't even in his control. That's just the way that the market has moved in terms of everything that's been happening from a supply and demand point of view. So mm -hmm. sure, we could have, you know, bargained and gone to get another vehicle or what would have changed the financing completely. He was able to do it for us mm -hmm. in a way that was not typical. And um, how did you get him to be able to do that or he essentially just offered because the no, rapport was there. No, it wasn't there. it was there. The rapport yeah. was there and it was because of when we first initially ever even you know invited ourselves into the potential of owning those vehicles. Uh, I'm sorry, of leasing those even in the first place. Um the way he went about it and his if you want to talk persuasion, um he tapped onto my husband pretty amazingly because oh yeah. oh yeah i mean men have more of an affiliation oftentimes with with the sort of the car and all the rest of it yeah. than women do and i'm not i'm not saying that women don't and we do have you know car enthusiasts but i'm one of these people i just need to drive like yeah, i'm yeah. okay <laughs> whatever but for him it was important and i've got to tell you that this guy didn't do the schmooze he mm -hmm. was so good at just kind of asking Steve what it was he, you know, needed to feel and, and mm -hmm. what was important to him and the way he, and it was, I, I watched this whole process take its course. 
but that was what actually then led to the honesty and the exchange and him telling us about his own fan. I mean, we know so much about this guy yeah. now. It's unbelievable. It's like we're best friends, wow. but it's not like we have a, a social existence with him. That's what I mean about people get so concerned about, I don't want to have a relationship with this person because then maybe they all, even in a workplace, corporately, we have such fear from a buyer-seller interface that we don't want buyers to get too comfortable with who their suppliers are or who the people are that are, you know, coming in and having to set up contracts or, or yeah. sell to them. Do you find people get worried about exposing too much of their own information because they feel like that they're going to get taken advantage of exactly like if they tell the car salesman exactly what they want exactly what their finances are then if the car salesman didn't have great intentions he might be able to pin you in a corner he's like i know everything and so you're gonna have to go with this option there's part um, of that yeah and, th and that definitely makes it a an easier sell when somebody comes through a, a car dealership and they do know what they want i'm kind of like you where i'm not a huge car guy so i don't really have very many specifics and and last time when i was talking to the toyota person they were asking me those questions They're like what are your must-haves and i was like honestly i just need like a basic car just to get from a to b and so he's like, okay well what kind of color i'm like oh, i'm not that picky so it it makes it tricky <laughs> it yeah. does but i yeah the the rapport thing definitely is massive and i feel like a lot of people who are listening could uh, relate to that whether it's in a negotiation or just when there's somebody that you really really know and you've known them forever things just happen way easier you don't need to Why discuss it, it yeah it's because that rapport is already built and the trust is there right. yeah so I, I how would you say though like if you want to build that rapport quickly like let's say you step in you don't know this person and you want to you don't want to be there for a whole day you want to talk to them for 30 minutes and hopefully be able to make a good deal like what are some recommendations you'd have for trying to build that trust in a shorter time period? I, I'd say the first thing is to actually assume a positive intent. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that that sounds simple. And yet, remember when we were saying about the mindset part, the reality is when we go into a negotiation, we have negative. We we believe that there's a negative intent on the other side. Right, they're trying yeah. to, they're going to get me, right? Right. So we, we put up our guard and, you know, start doing all the defensive stuff. So if, if what you do is is almost imagine this person as someone that, that you, in fact, have a rapport with, even though you're just building it, mm -hmm. at least where you go in your communication and the way in which you attitudinally, you know, step into it, is much more trusting. And so now I'm talking to you in a way that um, is is more formulated in assuming without really knowing. Right. So it, it in my buying days, uh, back in, in purchasing management world of my life, um, even when I know or knew that you have the advantage, meaning you're a single source supplier or you're a monopolizer or... And I have no control over that. Mm -hmm. I have no control. But what I do have control over is being able to be that individual that regardless of what you do to everybody else, that you might not want to do it to me. Right. That I give you cause for um, doing better. And so how do you do that unless I treat you well? Right. So I might be able to say things to you that, listen, I know that you're the only player in the game and that literally, if you wanted to, 
You could be ripping us off to high heaven. And I'm going to trust that you are acting in the exact same way as you would if you had all the competition in the world. Mm -hmm. Because I want to deal with somebody like that. Now, you see, I'm putting myself out there, like literally risking saying something like that, that might, he could be sitting there saying, I'm counting the money, baby. I'm not caring about any of that. But by me actually genuinely saying to you, what else have I got? I've got to be able to trust you. And I'm just assuming that I'm not giving you a hard enough time or making it difficult enough for you that you're willing to do for me. Yeah. And it's always worked. And that might be a, that must be a huge relief for a lot of uh, salespeople because I feel like a lot of people approach them and they kind of are with that. They have their skeptical hat on. They're kind of like trying to see through them and they're not even really considering this person as a person. They're just trying to do their job and they're trying to make some sales. Um, but again, you definitely don't want to be like naive in assuming that everybody has your best intentions. But I really love what you're saying about trying to build that rapport in a short term, long term, because I feel like that's when the the mo the best deals end up occurring. Um, like for that car uh, salesman that you said really connected with your husband, <laughs> I bet now you guys can call him at any time. And like if you totally. need a new car, it's like totally. he's your guy. He's got your business. You really trust him, and it makes things way smoother. You probably save time, save energy. Oh, there's been all kinds of things money. already, Ollie, that, that that made up for. Like, I mean, it, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned a good point, though, too, that um, I was just thinking. See, we're talking about, like, buy or sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about having options. We're talking about – but there's all kinds of different negotiations where you don't even get the person to person, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people try to do negotiating over email or yeah, like, let's say Kijiji or like, let's say you're, you're working with yeah. Facebook marketplace. Cause that's a, a big thing. Everybody's trying to buy and sell their products, you but you don't have that face to face. And I'd be curious to hear like how you see, uh, the influence face to face can have versus just text and, and how important, like the tone <laughs> and the body language is. Yeah. It's funny because everybody, um, we hide now. Connectivity is a weird sort of thing when it comes to texting and email and all that sort of thing. We can create the wonderful formality over an email if you wanted to that really you wouldn't be able to say person to person. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can also have the real curtain close as though we're best buddies on on text. Um, But you probably wouldn't talk to them like that person to person. So all of those things are very, very interesting. But when you're talking about like uh, um, uh, Facebook and, and you're doing the marketplace thing and whatever... That is literally pure bargaining back and pure forth. Bar- yeah. That's pure barter. Because I, unless it's where I'm saying, oh, um, so suppose I gave you my sympathetic story or yeah. I use emotion, which is a real powerful element. So in the use of emotion, I say to you, I really want this um, dresser set for my my daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, it's not something that I really can afford. Do you have any, you know, she's really wanting it. And so you you carry on with this. Can you feel sorry for me? Mm-hmm. Can you possibly, do you feel anything here that might move you? That's why it's all related to moving. Can yeah. I move you? But if you're somebody that's going, screw that, I'm just selling a dress for God's sake. I don't care yeah, who yeah. it's going to, right? Yeah. It might not move you at all, but it might move someone. Right. And that's why the strategy is always about the use of emotion first mm-hmm. before logic. 
Yeah. So whereas most people would come in going, that dresser's not worth more than $50, whatever, right? right. So that's the logic stuff. Don't go there first. Don't yeah. go there first. Well, it's so hard to build trust on online because, I mean, you have like dozens <laughs> of people messaging for your dresser and it's like, I don't know who's really telling me a, a true story. Do you think that because so much of our communication is online, there's so much negotiating or, or what really is more accurate bargaining takes place online that people they use that mentality online and they take it out into the real world because that's their understanding of negotiating. They're like, well, it's basically just uh, we're talking numbers and, and that's it. There's no rapport building. I don't need to do that. So if you're doing that on Facebook Marketplace and then the next day you go out to negotiate your salary or you go out to negotiate with the car dealership, you're going to use that same approach. Like do, do people, when they come to you for coaching and training, like are they a like a little – overly focused with the bargaining aspect most people believe that's what negotiating is yeah the bargaining and compromising the right. ability for you know you to take away or me to take away or we do and blah, would you blah, say blah. that's not even negotiation you don't, at no. all the, yeah. the, that that part is easy yeah um but it's also what's going to cost you the most so as soon as you start bargaining as soon as you start making any compromises that's that's where things are being actually exchanged right. and where you're potentially going to lose. So before you start digging into that area, mm-hmm. you do as much as you possibly can in developing as much information as you need that is useful for you, but also in understanding what the value or the consequences or the threats are or all the things in between before you even start talking about what to move and what to exchange. That's why when you said to me, um, you know, with all the negotiating that happens now, more online and whatever, do you know what, Ollie? It won't matter how advanced we are technologically and the capability we even have to e-sign and everything else. When it's important, when it means a lot to an organization or to an individual, you will fly across the world and you will have to meet somebody. Mm -hmm. It just rarely happens where there and and really i'm gonna say i'd like to see a situation where well i guess there's there's many but those have been because they were imposed on but i was gonna say i'd i'd really find it difficult to believe that if there's any organization that feels that something is seriously important enough to them in terms of partnerships or, um, uh, you know, men, uh, sorry, uh, consolidations or uh, expansions or supply and demand, all of that. If you're going to make any kind of an agreement with someone, mm-hmm. I want to know what you're made of. And right. that's why no one ever separates. Uh, as much as they always say it's about the deal, it's about the deal. Well, if it was so much about the deal, just read what they've got to offer, counter-offer it, and see what happens. That's a real estate negotiation, right? Mm-hmm. Notice when you buy a house or when you, you do any kind of a, a, a transaction that, that involves the paper only. What's the real estate person doing in order to motivate that sale mm-hmm. is what's most important. It becomes part of that negotiation. Right. It becomes, if I've gotten to know you, my customer, uh, well enough, what I'm doing is I'm playing that liaison. Mm-hmm. I am the one now that is actually 
feeding into the potential of the negotiation by persuading you with what the advantages are here or what their situation might be or what could be exploited or what. So I become your, you know, your coach sort of from a negotiating point of view, but I'm also doing it to my advantage in making sure I'm laying out the best scenario for when we make the offer, it's going to be accepted. Mm -hmm. That's how a real estate deal works. But still, it's a tangible thing. You have to be there. You see the, you see the house. You're not seeing the people, but right. you're seeing the house. So any kind of negotiation, you always, we always kind of want to know, okay, who's behind this or what's behind this? Unless it's negotiating with your kids or... All yeah, negotiating with, with kids and family. Yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about that because that's going to be Everybody a, maybe a different, a different <laughs> yeah. style for sure. Yeah. But yeah, when you when you actually go there and you travel to the location, for one, that's probably a massive trust builder. It's like, I, I'm really serious about this deal. I'm willing to go all the way out there. Um, another thing is, yeah, it's, it's way more, you can craft your messages so much more online versus when you're face-to-face, you can read their body language. Their, you see their immediate reactions. And when it's over text or email, I can send you an email and maybe it really upsets you, but I don't see any of that. And then you, you take like the 24-hour rule and you send me another email it's the true. next day and you don't get that. So that, that I, totally, I totally understand that. It's and like, from a trust point of view, 55% of your message comes from me being able to sit in here and talk to you. Right. Right. So if you wrote exactly the same message down and sent it to me on an email or yeah, it's, it's I, literally not, it doesn't equate to the same thing. Yeah. And if you're on the phone with me, that's only, you know, I'm, I'm hearing your voice and I'm getting the words, but that only makes up about 38%. Right. So the, the reality is why, why is it? It's because we don't believe we don't it's not matching for us or there's something that's missing or we're misinterpreting the tone I mean look at you we were talking about the way in which people talk so I could be sitting here negotiating with you and you're a very calming sort of easygoing sounding individual mm -hmm. so I could think that everything is going tickety-boo because as far as I'm concerned the way you sound on the phone is fantastic and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're pissed or yeah, you're yeah. like, there's things that you're just, it's just not coming. I'm not reading it. I'm not getting it from you. Mm -hmm. It'd be a little different if we were person to person. For sure. And I see that with texting all the time where a lot of time I, I, I don't like texting for that purpose because there's so much uh, room for misunderstanding. Totally and interpretations and i mean there's like emojis and stuff you can add to make it a little bit better but it's still still not good yeah, um <laughs> yeah so that i guess is a good tip for for anybody out there listening is like if you want to be a better negotiator you want to build that trust and a great way to do that is to be face to face and and show that person that you're willing to put the effort in to be there and then also you can see where they're coming from a lot exactly. more. So if you are a skeptical negotiator and you're worried about somebody trying to deceive you, it's way easier for somebody to type out some nonsense or something that's a lie over text and send you yeah. that email and, and send you that on Facebook Marketplace uh, than it is for them face-to-face. -face. I mean, it's not always easy to get that face-to-face no. -face in, in a lot of negotiations, but whenever you can, try for it. Is, is that a good... That's a very good piece of advice seriously mm. and and you're dead on it is it is difficult 
Um, I would always say don't, if you're going to initiate um, a negotiation, it's one that you want to be able to have at least at minimal a conversation, a telephone conversation or something to that effect. Only because you're initiating, it takes too long to sort of uh, address it. But corporately, you'll see it every day. Mm. And so there has to be some formality in how they actually do it. So that it has to be a lengthier email sort of address or something to that effect so that there's... There's something that I can really get from you as information and now take it to the next level and, and go back and forth. But I would concur with, you know, the best, the best that you can get is, is person to person. And it's also not, not an easy thing because even if you yourself as a negotiator or you're not a negotiator, you're someone who has to deal with somebody mm-hmm. and you're nervous about it or you're uncomfortable the likelihood is you don't want to be face to face because that's where you feel right. yeah, the yeah. most nervous or the most uncomfortable. Um, it's harder to say no to the girl that comes to the door to sell cookies for girl guides or whatever um, when she's right in front of you than if somebody phones you up and says, would you mind donating to such and such? It's easier for you to say no mm-hmm. when you don't have the direct and physical address. Right. So it's, But that is just who we are as human beings Mm -hmm. that innately we do have a sense of compassion and empathy for one another that is innately our behavior so that's why oh a text i can just shut you down or not respond to your email or hang up on you on the phone but now you're at my door yeah (laughs) i'm gonna handle a thanks no thanks um i really like to but i don't have any money and when we start doing all that why yeah why (laughs) why are we doing that when easily we would have hung up the phone yeah (laughs) so it's fascinating when it's person to person yeah so i'm sure that's some like a big advice that you give to a lot of like beginner people that you're coaching is try to build that trust and rapport and what would you say you mentioned like a lot of people get nervous and they they feel very like afraid or anxious and and stressed out and I could relate to that in in some sense how would you advise those people when they're maybe they understand okay I got to build that trust and I got to build that rapport but now we're face to face and I feel really tense and I'm I'm worried about how this negotiation is going to play out you know, I'm I'm sure that there's a lot of my counterparts out there that may, you know, kind of balk or disagree with what I'm about to say. Um, because the reality is that um, you're uncomfortable when you're in that position, right? And the best way that you can get comfortable is in actually validating yourself. Mm-hmm. So I know this might sound extremely vulnerable, and yet it is very stress-relieving is your ability to actually say, right? you know what? I, I got to tell you, I'm really uncomfortable in this situation. This isn't something I, you know, I, I really do, you know, too often. And I'm just trusting that everything that we do here together, that you're going to make it as easy for me as possible, at least in, I'll tell you, you relaying something like that, yes, it does make you vulnerable. And yes, maybe there is a shark that's going to bite your head off out there. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, 99% of the time, there is a, it's almost like you're saying, you got to help me because mm-hmm. I really don't, don't know what I should be doing here. Right. Yeah. That's, that's amazing how when you ask for help, right. that you actually do get it. Yeah. That sounds like great advice for how you're emotionally feeling, but even for something like information wise about the negotiation like let's say there's something negative uh that 
you and the other party, they definitely both know. But when you put it out there on the table, it kind of relieves the tension. So, like, if you're stressed and you put it out there, it'll probably help relieve the tension. Um, And, yeah, if you and the other party know that you had a bad relationship another time prior, just put it it. out there. Clear it out there. Exactly. Exactly. That's, you know, and that's a very, very good piece that you've just brought up is that quite often even internal, like people in their organizations, you know what, internal negotiations are more difficult than the external ones. Right. Because you know each other. Yeah. Or so you go for a department to department or you're in a meeting and you're completely disgruntled with something that's gone on during that meeting, whatever. I'll tell you, if something comes up now that requires your support or requires you to be a participant or whatever, you're going to handle it. Now, how do I convince you? How do I get you back on board unless I actually clear the air? In terms of going back on that. And that's a motivator. That's persuading you. That's kind of saying, listen, Ollie, I know I know what happened in that last meeting. And I know there was a, a bad taste that was left in your mouth. And, you know, I apologize that the circumstances were that way, if the apology is necessary. Most of the times it's not. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's better to be able to say, I get it. I get that that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. And I need you now, or I I want it. So validating you. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say when you're nervous, validate yourself as well. And that means putting it out there. Yeah. Okay, Ollie, I have a confession. I was not trained in business. My schooling was not a business background. Mm. It was psychology. Okay. And I went for a job and went to work in an organization and ended up being accelerated for the pure sake of being naive. Mm. Now, that doesn't sound like it matches, right? But let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. Because I asked about everything. Mm. Because I said, why are we doing this when this is here? Or what is it that that person, why didn't they answer our call back? What is going on? And I was one of these, you know, because I didn't know any different as far as these don't, this thing doesn't match for me. This doesn't sound the way that people are supposed to interact when it comes to business. It didn't make sense. One thing led to another and I got into a buying position. I very quickly understood that every time I was speaking with suppliers, that there was something that I was doing that differentiated me from what their previous experiences were. Because I was completely open and vulnerable. Mm. I basically would say, you're the ones that are, you know what you're doing. I I don't have all the information, but I want to know what it is that I should know. I would do things like that. I am telling you to this day, and that was, you know, I was 12 years with uh, consumers packaging. And I can assure you to this day, there isn't a single supplier or associate that I probably dealt with in those days that if I met them in a dark alley, nobody would feel as though I was cheating, unfair, that I, yeah. and I made some major headways in there and did a few very radical things. Right. But it was because of the way I handled everybody. Yeah, you weren't afraid to ask those questions that other people are afraid of, and that builds massive trust. Because a lot of people... They'll have questions and everybody's sitting in the same room, but nobody wants to bring it up. No one wants to. But bring when it you up. bring it up, it yeah, it throws it out on the table. People know that you're not trying to hide and you're going to be willing to discuss those difficult things. Um, I also liked what you're saying about how it can be more difficult when you're 
negotiating with people that are internal to your company Huge. than external because they know uh they know you you know them and also tomorrow you're gonna have to work with them again and so that's like a <laughs> totally. definitely a big difference between that car salesman example that we were talking about is that these people the car salesman if you and him don't get along and he's mad I, at you it's like, okay see i don't yeah. i may be never gonna see you ever again yeah but the coworkers, uh that's gonna stay forever so how do you think that that changes and in, in, is there any other aspects where that's different from like a, a one-time situation? It has residual effect. That's the, that's the biggest thing, just like right. families and friends, right? Yeah. That's why we say be careful about doing sales yeah. with friends or, or family members. And, and would you say in general, like you maybe don't want to be as pushy or as risky with your asks because these people you're going to have to deal with over and over. And it's like, that's a ridiculous like versus a car salesman. If you ask for a ridiculous price, he you you don't see him again. He's like, yeah, that was insane. What that that one uh, person was asking. But if you're negotiating for your salary, for example, with your boss, and you're asking for mm. absurd things, uh, an hour later you're gonna have to talk to your boss about some other unrelated issue, and now he's looking at you as somebody who maybe is trying to take advantage. Would well, you say that's fair? There's yeah, there's. Uh, and I think this applies to every negotiation because even if you went and did the ridiculous ask of your of the salesperson, if you really are beyond reason, like if you've really gone, you know, beyond the crux of some, they could just write you off as mm. well. So you didn't gain anything by doing that. Yeah. But to your point, um, internally or externally, if you've got a good grasp of what it is that you're looking to achieve, like what you really want as your ask. Mm -hmm. The trick is always to go slightly above that. The trick right. is always to, to create the ideal. Now mm -hmm. you're not, you've got at least a little bit of movable room, right. um, but what, and not a little bit because you want, you want it to make it expansive enough, but here's the deal. What people generally do is they just believe, okay, I, I wanted this for a hundred dollars, um, so I'm going to say that I'll pay them 50, right? Mm. So they'll do something of that nature, yeah. but without putting anything to it. Mm -hmm. So all they're doing is just labeling a figure. So if you went in and talked to your boss and you're looking for a raise and you're putting, you know, you'd like to get at least $5,000 a year increase, yeah. right? That's what you're looking for. Like right now you'd be happy if that's what happened, right? So what you do, you start asking him for $10,000 increase That's the, or 20000 That's yeah. where you think. But the key is that why it's called the ideal in terms of what is the maximum supportable. It means how do you support that? Because maybe you are worth it, but can you support it? Right. Could you maybe, it's like, for instance, somebody that looks at, you know, a canvas, uh, that's got all these colors on it and stuff. And it looks like a scenery and whatever, and it's in a frame and, and they go, yeah, well, that's not a painting I like, but somebody else looks at it and they go, that's a Van Gogh mm. and that's worth a lot of money and I'm willing to pay the value that you're actually describing depends on the person that's receiving it or seeing it. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking to your boss and you are looking to idealize the value of what it is that you're asking for. It has to be equitable. You right. have to yeah. be able to prove it. 
Otherwise, this is how it sounds like a bargaining thing. You can't crap right, lucky right. for twenty thousand dollars more. Well, yeah, there's yeah. no way you're only gonna get five. Well, okay, well, how about ten? Oh, there's no way you're only gonna get five. That becomes the conversation. Right. Is what the monetary or the articulated yeah. amount is as opposed to the value attached to it. Right. There has to be some logic behind the emotion and, and I guess that that is a huge aspect of persuasion. We talked about kind of the fundamentals of negotiation. Uh, which is building that trust, building that rapport, being persuasive and, and getting them emotionally on your side. But you also need to have it make sense. And so it's got to have some logic that Absolutely. backs that up. And, Absolutely. and so you can't be throwing numbers out of the blue as 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 uh, much of a rapport as you have with your boss or as much as a rapport you've built with the car salesman. If you ask for something that just straight up doesn't make any sense, it's like, yeah, we, we really like you and you're great, but we can't no, that that's doesn't doesn't add up. Exactly. And so the money's gotta come from somewhere. Exactly. And so I guess that could be another like piece of advice for, for people listening is like you, you, you probably wanna plan like as much as you, you can and, and do your research so you know what you're coming in technically on the numbers side and, and from like a analysis sense. So there's that aspect, but then there's also the more personable uh, level where there's like the trust and the emotional side. Would you say there's, because um, uh, I've, I've heard this before, there's the emotional, the the logical, and then maybe a perceived threat. Is, is that another threat. component? Those are the ones that, um, good, I'm glad you remember all this. This is awesome. Um, the, the idea behind the use of emotion is that it's what it, it's what opens the opportunity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, for instance, um, you could have all the logic down pat, right? Even if you were thinking about who might be a qualified date for me, right? And so there you go. Oh, check, 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 check. No different than choosing a supplier. Who would be the rest, best resource? Check, 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 check. Mm -hmm. But now until you actually go through the process of understanding what all that actually means. Yeah. Like you can have all the facts down path, but you need to understand how it gets applied, uh, what they value, the way they process, how they communicate. Mm -hmm. Are you in line with them? Do you like how their background works? And that's the same with how we meet people. The implied threat or the consequence isn't always, it's not, uh, you know, which I, I want to make sure we've got something clear. Never threaten in a mm -hmm. negotiation. Yeah. Um, we never want to say, if you don't do this for me, then, you know, if I don't, anything that starts with if, uh, forget that. Yeah. But how you are implying a threat is oftentimes you might say something, listen, we went through a really hard time with our past supplier. I, I just want to understand that there is no way that we could possibly be in the same situation with you. So what am I implying? I'm basically saying, if you put us in that same situation, there's going to be trouble. But mm -hmm. I'm not wording it that way. So I'm implying the the potential or the lost benefit. I bet you've heard this a thousand times. People at work say this all the time. Um, you know, I, I know, Ollie, that you really want to get visible with your um, senior management group and whatever. And uh, I think it'd be really good for you if you attended this executive meeting that's coming up and you are not wanting to go. And so what they're saying to you is, this would be so good for you, mm -hmm. right? That's an implied threat that if you don't go, it doesn't give you the visibility. Right. It's the same way of me saying, um, you know, if you really give us a favorable price or if you're looking, I know that if you really make it look good for us, this could lead to future bit 
all that is just an implied threat. Right. And we do it with our kids too. Yeah. It's the same way that we talk to our kids. But instead of saying, you know, if you don't clean this up, this is going to happen. That's, that's a direct threat. Right. Instead, we, we think that by motivating them with, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to give you $5 if you keep your room clean for the rest of the week. All you've done is just a reverse threat. If you don't clean it up, you're not getting five bucks. That's right. all you're doing. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the time it, that's what it ends up being is a reverse threat. Like there's something to be, to, to be gained <laughs> if, you, if you do the thing. Like with that right. work example, it's like, yeah, there's something to be gained and you're going to miss out and that's, that's bad. So yeah. the, the implied threat, do you think it's a fair takeaway that that should generally be kind of subtle and perhaps like we were saying a reverse threat because nobody likes an ultimatum where you say like no ultimatums if if you don't give me this i'm out of here it's like people they want their their freedom of choice and i feel like whenever they're presented with an ultimatum they often want to pick the thing that favors them even if what makes logical sense is to go with that person it, it, when somebody's backing you in a corner and they give you no other option you don't feel like going no. with them and, and you lose all the trust right. and, and that can ruin things. And and I'm sure that happens sometimes when people are negotiating for, for salaries and things like that. Have I'm you gonna, seen? I'm going to quit. Exactly. Yeah. That. I'm going to quit. Someone else. See, that's the other thing is, um, so imagine that genuinely um, you've been recruited or offered um, a potential position in another, in another organization mm. and maybe a competitor. Yeah. to yours okay this happens all the time they know you're good and word gets out and before you know it people are recruiting or wanting and especially in the situation that we are in now with employment mm -hmm. it happens a lot so um so imagine that someone has reached out to you and what they've offered you is that for the value of what they believe you're worth okay they've already convinced you given what you're doing there given what it is that you'd be doing with us I can assure you that, you know, there's a $20,000 gap here in terms of what you're earning that, that we would be able to satisfy. Mm -hmm. Now you've got a choice, right? So here, herein lies a negotiation that you never, ever thought you even needed to, to be involved in. Because in your mind, you don't want to leave your company. You actually enjoy working here there's no reason for you to go mm -hmm. so what's the motivator that's happening here somebody's saying that you're worth twenty thousand dollars more and they'd be willing to give it to you right so how do you approach that you were saying about going to your boss for a raise this is where the use of emotion and the absolute logic and the implied threat all end up coming in together without you even trying. Because I swear to you, if you were genuine, if where you come from is the place that basically says, you know what, I just had to tell you this, boss, because I'm here I am in this position. Yeah. And I just need you to put yourself in my shoes. I get a call from a recruiter. Here's the company that's saying this. They're actually telling me I'm worth $20,000 more than what I'm getting here. And I know that they'd be willing to pay me that. I'm in no way, shape, or form interested in leaving this company. Mm -hmm. So you notice all the, the things that you're applying here right now? Right. And I want to ask you, how is it that there could be such a, a question always? How is it that there could be such a gap in terms of what they're willing to pay and what, what mm -hmm. it is that I'm receiving here? Is there anything we can do to talk about this? Right. So what I've done is right. I've spun that all in, but not I'm not doing it as a trick. 
I'm basically giving you the genuine, like, obviously that's in your mind now. And you're not just going to jump and leave and go to another cut. And what's the best negotiating position for your boss to be in? If I was coaching him on the equal and opposite, well, Ollie, thank you for telling me that. I really appreciate your openness. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is I'm also glad that you're happy in this organization. And, you know, I guess I could tell you that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but that probably wouldn't satisfy you until you experienced it. So right. I can go oh, on yeah. and on in yeah. terms of what am I using? I'm not saying, well, you're not worth $20,000. I'm not going to that logic element. I'm basically saying we, we appreciate you here and we value you here, Ollie. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that, you know, that's a rich ask in terms of what it is that we can afford. But what you can be sure of is the consistency of what you've already experienced. And so you see where this is right, going? Yeah, they're playing on the unknowns of like, you don't know what's like, let's say you really do want to stay at the company anyway, but you have seen that offer for $20,000 more. You but can't yeah, ignore you, you it. don't know what the work culture is right. like out there. You don't know all these right. things. And, and that example you're giving is the manager there is like playing on those unknowns. Like, well, I can't guarantee that the quality of work is going to be the same. I can't guarantee that. The grass is always greener. Um, but he's actually yeah. not being ingenuine. Yeah, in doing it's true. It. You don't know. It is true. It is exactly what I'd suggest yeah. that anyone. It's just like if when somebody says to you, you know, I, I've always offered to make sure, answer a question with a question when it when it's one that is going to trap you somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody said to you, well, what are you looking for to you know, how much are you willing to make or how much would you like to make or what are you looking for as a salary? You know, that question when everybody goes for a job interview or something like that effect. Yeah. Meanwhile, so, you know what the range is and all that sort of stuff. But instead, what you need to be able to respond is with a question back. Yeah. Well, what value do you put on the contribution that I'd be making right. if I were to join your organization? So you see, now you're, I'm flipping it back to you. What's it worth to you? Mm -hmm. Not, uh, you know, what do I want to make? Because you probably know that I was only making X at the last company that I was working at. So, right. you see, it becomes a numbers game if you start talking numbers. Yeah. But it's not a numbers game if you actually give the value first. And that's what I mean by emotion. Do you find when it comes to, like, actually laying out the first number, people to try to avoid that as much as possible? And, and that's you where you, Yeah, you should. Mm -hmm. If you can get the other person to say the number first, mm -hmm. do that. Absolutely. And if you can't, and if they're like really pushing you. Then you put your ideal you, down. You go really, yeah, mm -hmm. fairly high. Okay. And only because, um, and it's not a trick. It's not, you know, I, I've often had people, and, and I get it why they ask this question, but I've often had people ask, why don't we just like go in and say what we've got and just like exactly what we want? Why don't people just talk like that? Yeah. What would gets, your answer to be? Well, yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, it, it does get strange when people don't just say what they, they yeah. say, especially when you're dealing with, like, uh, your coworkers that you, you deal with on a regular basis, and typically you just say what you want to say, but then all of a sudden, now that you're talking about salary, it's like this whole game of, I'm trying to get you to say the, the number first, and you're trying to get it me to say it first, and we're all kind of, like, playing mind games and being weird about it, but... I guess it doesn't always have to be like that. Like like you said, you can be real and raw and there's still some negotiation tactics per se, but you can do it from a place that's far more genuine and, and real and, and not trying to be all of a sudden, this is like uh, completely two different people inside the negotiation versus outside. But if you learn, 
if, if, if you see that it actually makes sense. So yeah. as an example, neither one of us wants to put our number on the table, right? Mm-hmm. But you can see that it would make sense that if I said to you, well, I'll tell you, I believe I'm worth $100,000 a year. Yeah. And you're going to like fall off your chair or something because the job maybe is only worth $50,000 or something of that effect. Yeah. But what you just stated is a true, a true fact. Yeah. I believe I'm worth that. Right. Or I would, but if what I said is, well, I believe the salary should be, or, you know, I'm looking to get, or, so you see the change in that, that I'm not insulting you in any way, shape or form. Yeah. You genuinely think that you, I I think I'm worth this. And Uh, and you you allow the other person to maybe disagree if they, if they have to. So if I don't put a number out, if it's, if it's gone to the extent where nobody's actually saying something, I need to put something out that now you will be able to discuss. Yeah. Would you want to formulate that in a question as well? Like, let's say, rather than say, I think I'm worth this, you will follow up with a question of like, would you say that's a fair evaluation of me? No. Or that's too much to put yeah, on Yeah, no, one? no. If you, see, there's the thing about, uh, in negotiation, you've got to be assertive. Yeah. Um, you got to ask a lot of questions because you have an interest of knowing. Yeah. But you don't ask questions about what you need to know. In mm-hmm. other words, from a from a position of strength. Yeah. And so if you believe you're valued um, or you believe that you're selling something and you believe it's worth this, it's your belief. It's your value. That's what I mean by emotion. Nobody mm-hmm. can... Nobody can deny that, that that's what it's worth to you. Right. What they can do now is persuade you that you're not going to get that. I can give you this. Maybe if you did this, you'll get more. They can do all that sort of thing with you. But yeah. to actually shift your belief, that's that's not doable. So that's why it's really important not to, you don't question it. Sure, if I, right. I said, well, I think I'm worth $100,000. Don't you think it's worth that? Yeah. You're going to say no, because of yeah. course not. Right. Well, $100,000 yeah, yeah. <laughs> is pretty rich as much as I can. Blah. No. Yeah, you see, that's where it's going to go. Yeah, yes, no. exactly. Yeah. You're not helping you, your situation you throw any. throw a softball at them just to right. say, yeah. Right. Okay, and I guess that's where a lot of the personality styles come into play too because I wanted to talk to you about that. And oh, I would yeah. think that, like you said, you need to be assertive and there's some people that are more assertive and more dominant personality styles and they might have way less of an issue just saying, I think I'm worth this versus somebody with a different personality style. Uh, they might be hesitant and they want to make sure that everybody's on the same page, everybody's feeling good. And so they might feel like they should ask a question of like, we all should be agreeing on this. And, and I think that's part of where yeah. that idea for me to ask that question. And, and from what I've learned about these personality styles is I'm more of a, I, 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 at least by tendency, I can tend to be more like steady uh, and conscientious or like analytical. And yeah. I want to explain these for, for people listening. Um, there's uh, four quadrants, at least from what I was learning about the personality styles specifically when it comes to conflict and negotiation. And so, yeah, there's the dominant assertive style. Um, and that might be a little bit more straightforward. Yeah. They're assertive. They, they're really task oriented. They are sometimes almost aggressive. Yeah. Yes. Quite yeah. aggressive. And then there's the influential style. They're also a lot more. Yeah. They have their assertive style. And I'd say those two styles, influential and dominant are more extroverted individuals. Truth. Um, and then the other two styles that I mentioned, uh, like the analytical and, and steady styles are more introverted styles. Um, steady being 
uh, similar to influential in the sense that they're they're concerned with the relationships. They want to make sure that people are feeling good, and they want to make sure, yeah, that there's mm-hmm. a harmony between people and mm-hmm. everybody's okay. Um, the analytical side is uh, somewhat similar to the the dominant or assertive, where they can sometimes be a little bit detached from the emotions and and how people actually feel, and more about the facts. The difference there would be the analytical is uh, more introverted, and they're going to be more somebody who does tons and tons of research, and whereas the dominant person, like we were saying, might feel comfortable without doing too much research to just straight up say, I think I'm worth this, and is there much to prove it? Maybe not, but they say it with confidence, and they they really mean it. Um, What would you say your your personality style is now <laughs> <laughs> like you haven't figured that one out yet yeah um it's really interesting that you and and you're dead on ollie with the you know the personality types or the profile of of the various quadrants and everything else and one distinction um you made the um extrovert and introvert distinction it's also important to see where the like the the dominant and the you know analytical or conscientious uh, that you mentioned are very task oriented, mm-hmm. right? So it's about the the doing and what needs to be done and the information, whereas the influencing and the the steadiness that wants the harmony and influencing that wants to be out there, um, it it's because the people mm-hmm. are where their their focus and their need of attention is. Yeah. So that's where that split happens. But that doesn't mean that it can't be integrated. For me, I'm I'm uh, very much uh, considered a high I, which would be like a, an influencing mm-hmm. with D. So high I and D are my my duels, right? Right. But think of what it, what it is that I do. Um, not only am I gregarious and and extroverted, and I love people, and I want to talk to people, and so I'll do that. But I'm also somebody that needs to get the task done or it has to get to the bottom line or want to make sure that things get executed. Mm-hmm. But I'm a coach. I'm right. a consultant. Yeah. I have to do it in a way that is very much taking care of the people. I'm not sitting there doing an analysis, sitting in my desk and then sending you a report where we don't have any interaction. Mm-hmm. So you can see where that, the beautiful, the the ones that would be that analytical and the harmonious and looking for the systems or the policies or all the details of information, mm-hmm. they could easily relay things to people without it having to be a conversation. Right. Whereas mine... A little different and thank God that I am of personality Mm. and of communication style and desire that I stay on that heavy duty people side. Well, it's interesting because when we were talking about the the keys to a good negotiation, there's the emotional side, but then there's also the logical side. So when you look at it from that standpoint, it would seem that like the analytical and dominant, they're the logical side may come natural to them in, in a lot of ways. And, and the influential and steady, the emotional sides comes naturally. So it seems like wherever you are on the, 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 the quadrants, there is something for you to learn on, on the other side. Um, or to make sure you have as an access resource. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're, if you're collaborating, it's, yeah, definitely know your true. strengths. It's true. And yeah, like, I, I, yeah, know your strengths. That's only really going to come from trying to understand your style. 
Um, how did you come to know that you are a, a DI? Like, I guess once you studied the quadrants, maybe it was just obvious. It's oh, like, yeah. okay, it, I it land was, right it there. It was but. pretty obvious. I think even, you know, most profiles that we do, yeah. um, and whether they're work-related or personality profiles or, or they have to do with conflict or, um, they're all really good information for, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know what, Ollie, this, this is like a big bracket, even within the negotiation thing is that the better you know yourself, the better you know uh, what your triggers are, what you react to, what what disappoints you or you dislike with other people and in their interactions. So no one personality is the best. Mm -hmm. So there are people that you might gravitate to because of the way in which they entertain or that you enjoy or it makes you comfortable or you learn for whatever reason. You know the reasons why you gravitate to certain people. But there are... Sometimes people that you have to deal with that are not your kind of peeps or you don't get why they just responded or said what they said. You don't know what to do with that or you're not the kind of person to actually react or respond that way. And when you think about the, the analytical types, my God, detail oriented and um, very much taskmasters, um, we can, we can say all of that. Does that mean that the dominance and the influencing probably less likely to worry about details? Doesn't mean that they're not detail oriented. Doesn't mean that they couldn't do what's necessary. It's not their preference. Mm -hmm. So an influencing like me would be someone that if I was dealing with something highly technical, I need you beside me, Ollie. I need you to give me the information I require. I have to depend on the resource because I'm not, it's not important to me. It doesn't matter to me. Can I just fit it into why this is going to work for you? Mm -hmm. And so it becomes part of the formula, but it doesn't mean that I change my personality. What I may need to do is what's known as flexing my style. Yeah. If my style is to talk to you and to get to know you and your style is you're not interested in any of that small talk and we just kind of deal with what it is that I'm addressing here, then I have to hone it in and be able to be a little more detailed than I'm used to being. Make sure I'm presenting to you what you need. Again, back to our original comment that if I'm providing you as the person what it is you need to feel satisfied, Mm -hmm. then you're more likely to cooperate and work with me in a completely beneficial way. Yeah, I find these these quadrants of personality styles definitely really help with that understanding aspect. Because like we were saying, that's massive in trying to negotiate and persuade with somebody is you need to understand them. And a big component is understand that not everybody's like you. There's going to be people that operate in a completely different uh, motivation system. And, and how are you going to negotiate with them if you're considering that your way of thinking and your way of being is the only one out there. Do you find that's like a common uh, thing that you have to coach people on and train people on? Is that like they look at negotiations from their style and they don't recognize that other people might not connect with that at all. Cause I could see that happening. Like people typically from what I've seen is the way that you think is 
you assume that other people are thinking the same way, way. but that's (laughs) never the case. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I really like that about trying to understand your own style so that you can pull in your strengths and, and recognize the weaknesses to it as well. Because at least for me, I've in diving in and learning more about these styles, I've realized that my style, uh, might have a tendency to avoid conflict, um, or be too, uh, oriented towards the, the numbers and the analytics and and looking at things like that. Mm. And there's downsides to doing that because yeah, you don't connect on, on a lot of the emotional level. And then also with the trying to avoid conflict, sometimes I'll, I'll leave with regret or I, I have resentment. Like there'll be situations that I, I can think of with, with, with people like, uh, in my life that I think, Oh, whatever. It's not a big deal. And then, uh, like, I don't think it's worth even addressing. And then I, I, I leave. And then two weeks later, I'm thinking this is really annoying me and it, it's bothering me uh, a lot. And now I'm getting better at realizing that it's okay to just address it. And, and, and you can go out there and, and ask for the things that you, you feel like you deserve. Um, and it's fine to deal with conflict. Um, those are the, some of the main things that I feel like I've, I've learned, but only really after looking at my styles and being honest with the, the weaknesses that are associated with those. Doesn't it kill you when you learn, like when you see something and you go, oh my God, like how is it that they know that that's me, right? That Yeah, that. it's pretty spot on. Like yeah. I, So for anybody listening, like I had done a quiz that kind of, uh, you answer some questions and then it, it, it puts you right in, to these four quadrants and it was it was super spot on i was like wow that's that's exactly it they they talk about where you tend to maybe fall short in like negotiation situations i was like yep that's like exactly it because uh, somebody who's more dominant assertive they're maybe not likely to avoid conflict. a a conflict scenario gotcha but somebody who wants to keep everybody uh feeling at peace yeah they will and also another thing about the analytical side that i find myself getting in trouble with is before i even want to engage i want to have all the prep and all the numbers ready and i don't want (laughs) to come in there with exactly i don't want to i don't want to come in underprepared and then end up saying the wrong thing whereas somebody with the influential style or dominant they they might trust that they're going to be able to get out of that they know it doesn't matter if i say the wrong number i can it's not all about that and so yeah that's been massive for me and um it still can be difficult when you're across the table from somebody who's a completely opposite style yeah. though because i'm trying to develop uh the weaknesses on my style but how do you find you coach people when they can't seem to relate to other styles like they they get really frustrated when somebody's so assertive and and for them they're not or when somebody's super influential and they're dealing with someone who's all pure analytical, they might be like, this person's like a robot. They're just pure numbers and they really can't get through to each other. How do you advise people to get through to, yeah, how do you, how do you advise people in, in those situations? If you're, you know, if, if they're not as fortunate as you've been to kind of really assess and understand their own style and kind of see it in comparison, mm-hmm. then there's a couple of even general things that right off the bat, just from what you've spoken about, um, that you can do instantaneously as soon as you get into a conversation with someone. And it's the ability, first of all, to see exactly those things that you've described. Are they more focused on the task 
or do, do they seem to have a people side? Like, is there, mm. that is so easy for them to figure out, right? Yeah. That's an easy thing. As well, it will show up in identifying whether, are they gregarious and, and extroverted and, and they're easy to talk or are, you know, they're choosing their words and they're very, so when you can make that kind of a very simple assessment based on those two things, introvert or extrovert, people or task, then what ends up happening, whichever side you're on, of course, mm -hmm. if you're the person now, I'll, I'll deal with you, Ollie, that's sitting there going, okay, I got all my information together. I got my details down pat. I'm not into making small talk or anything like that. I'll let them start. You start realizing that they're like, ta, 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 ta. They're not getting into any details. They're just basically asking you about the company and this on how you feel about working there. All these things that you're thinking, hang on, this isn't, I'm I'm not yeah, wanting to talk. Yeah. Right. So Are that's where in you go direction? into mode of recognizing, okay, people stop. And you give as much as you can in the comfort of where it is that you recognize you're doing a value adjustment for them. You are acknowledging what they value. Mm -hmm. And if they value the people side of it and what's in, in so whoever has the need has to do the adjusting. Mm -hmm. So remember I said in negotiation, I was always initiated based on a need. If I need something, right. I don't care what it is. If it costs, if it doesn't cost, or if I want you to do something, or it's a need. I have a need for you to do this. Mm -hmm. And when a need's been initiated and negotiations begun, whether somebody labels it or not. So if I'm the one with the need and you're the, you know, very quiet, um, detailed guy, I want to give value to what it is that you do. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, you know what, Ollie, I'm not really good with any of these algorithms, if you want to know the truth. Um, I'm, I'm really not somebody that has, has, you know, studied the way that the tech works. But I just need you to give me a little bit of a background. So what I'm doing is I'm focusing on what's important to you. Mm -hmm. I start getting you to answer the questions on the things that I know you are going to be detailed in. Yeah. And I don't avoid trying to be personable with you, but I build trust on the fact that I want to validate your information. I build trust on recognizing that you're the authority. I build trust on whatever it is I need so that the more information, the more comfortable you get. Mm -hmm. And the more comfortable you get, the more ability I have to actually influence or to work with you, and you'll feel more comfortable with it. Right. It really is about drawing on and that. Would you say for you, Nelly, to tap into that side is is like challenging or, or was challenging? Because in some sense, I would feel like it might be a bigger hurdle for people on the like analytical, steady side to jump into the dominant, influential side and really like relate to them that it might be vice versa. Do you th would you agree with that? Or do you think like... I don't know. I, I, you know what? It's not that... I think either or is difficult. Yeah. Think about it. Even, you know, someone who's like the... The dominant doer, right? They could also be gregarious and personality-wise out there. Yeah. And I always think of someone like a, a high-performing salesperson. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, really fabulous at getting the deal done and all that sort of thing. But the logistics of how they've offered the deal, the right, details right, right. aren't in place. The contract forgot to be yeah. signed. They might make more deals, but each deal has like its its, it's problems. It, yeah. But then try and address that. Try and deal with them as as that problem, and they'll go, "Well, well, hang on. I I, I got the deal, didn't I? I got the customer, didn't I? Mm -hmm. Because the 
focus is purely on the outcome, on the task, right? Right. Whereas the if it was truly much more on the um, influencing side, like that that dominant one just got her done, but on the influencing side, yeah, we got the deal, but you know what? They're not they're not happy with us. We weren't able to give them the. There's a concern that starts happening because now it's more about how they felt about it, if you will, or where it is that it affects the people and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. You two are down on the end, kind of going, not on the end, but in the background, kind of going, oh, this blows, this, 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 you know, whatever the dominant said that they they got done, because you've got all the details, you know all the information of what this is going to, cause as trouble you know this is going to cost bottom line you know that we've just you know siphoned out some of the profits we could have had you know all this from a detail point of view so you have difficulty even relating to that but you're able to bring it to the forefront because you have the information mm-hmm. but dominant doesn't care right yeah and with the dominant style sometimes from what i see is they will be reckless at times where they just go out and say certain things. And then, and I guess that's where we can start talking about the positive and negatives. Um, so, so the dominant (coughs) style, yeah, like you said, they're very assertive and, and in negotiations, that's often a benefit. What are some downsides to that, that style? That they're, they're willing to control. So, so they, you know, and especially interestingly enough, if it was a combination with someone like you that, um, believes the details and the information is very important. And now you also have the tendency um, to be out there or to, to be able to be dominant in, in the nature of how you are. It turns into a controlling situation. Right. You don't, you know, you're not influencing anymore. You're just basically dictating or right, uh, right. pushing, if you will. Um, and so there's, you know, there's where some of the problems could be with the dominant is where, when they don't get their way or when it isn't um, always in, in their favor or they don't understand. I mean, God help you if, if a D doesn't understand, if you will, um, then it becomes problematic. Um, whereas, mm-hmm. go ahead. You want so, to- yeah, I was going to say, like, even the um, listening might be a, a downside to people who tend to be dominant. Because from what I was, I was, uh, I, from what I was uh, looking into, what I found fascinating is that these different styles, they really deal with silence differently. Whereas like somebody who's analytical, like steady side, when there's silence from across the table, they might assume, oh, that person's just thinking. Um, but when there's somebody who's dominant, they might assume, oh, that person has nothing to say. Uh, and then if there's maybe somebody who's influential or more associated with the relationships, they might assume that silence means something emotional. They're upset, they're angry, there's something not there. Um, but that, that's what I found fascinating is like people treat that silence differently. And do you, would you ever want to like even tap into that? Like knowing that, okay, well this person, they're going to assume that I'm upset, but I'm not, but I don't necessarily mind that if I, if I'm silent, that's not the worst thing in the world. I, I'm just going to take my time to think. Um, you, you know, you, you just mentioned one of the golden rules about, about negotiation is, is the reality that most people talk too much. Um, and even those that aren't used to saying a lot, uh, nervousness or any kind of lack of confidence then sometimes has you, you know, ramble or, or say things that you wouldn't otherwise say. Right. So there's that element of it. So silence is a 
powerful tool in negotiation. And the more confident you are, the more likely you are to be at ease with not saying anything. So why the C's and, and like the people that are very uh, in the know from an information point of view, I will add to it that it's not just because you're introverted that you're not saying anything. It's because where your confidence lies is with your information, is that your details are down pat, that mm-hmm. what you believe is right is right. So you don't, you don't need to argue it. You don't bring it to the forefront. You don't advertise it. You factualize it. And it's so important to you that getting things accurate and, you know, without flaws and all that sort of thing. So by all means, once you've presented a figure to somebody or once you've told them that this is what it is, you don't have anything else to say. And Mm. that's rightfully the place that you should be in. Now to someone who's on the equal and opposite and they see that kind of silence Sometimes it has all kinds of other indicators to someone like me as an influencer or, or D where I'm thinking, whoa, non-movable, like they know their stuff, they're, wow, he's totally confident in that position. Whereas meanwhile, it just could simply mean to you that I got nothing else to say about it. Unless you right. ask me something, I've got no more to comment on. So the misinterpretation of the silence is usually because it takes a lot of confidence to be quiet. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of confidence to just speak yeah, it, I and feel like then even, stop. Even sometimes where the dominant style might interpret the silence as you don't have anything, anything else to, to say. say. That might not necessarily be the, the worst thing in the world either. Where like exactly. they'll kind of underassume your capabilities or, or what you're uh, going to bring to the table. Just because you maybe aren't saying too much. So they assume, oh, this guy doesn't know anything. He's not saying anything. Um, but then later you could perhaps surprise them with what you do have and you do know. Um, you, you know, you just reminded me of something that I, I don't want anyone to, any of your listeners to get the idea that any of one of those styles is better than the other. Mm-hmm. It, it, there, there definitely is no the best style or anything right. of that I, nature. I, I feel like in, in, in and, general, they are just generalizations that help us understand, right? right. Like nobody's like purely... One, one style per se gotcha. it's just like these are categories that nobody fits in perfectly but they help us from a, a generalization perspective when you're approaching somebody you can see okay i think they fit into the, maybe this box or that box maybe a combination of two but yeah you don't so, know that people are complicated you can't pinpoint uh, yeah. anybody and but and, circumstances also make the difference as well yeah. right so that that same quiet individual or the one that's very analytical could be completely different in an intimate or in a a friendship situation. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we oftentimes don't consider is that more and more the capability that you have to be able to relay, uh, and when I say you, you know, the more analytical style, um, to be able to relay information without worrying about the nuances, that's powerful in in circumstances where it is about email or it is the transfer of information where the personality isn't required. It's about the the whole backdrop of what's necessary to know in order to make the right decision. Wow. Whereas up there, it might be filled in with a lot of, you know, fluff and gaps and, you know, marketing, advertising and all this sort of thing that is meant to influence differently. Whereas you got mm-hmm. it down pat when it comes down to, you know, the communication right. that doesn't require person to person. What do you recommend when 
you are training, Excuse coaching me. people and, and you find, okay, you are this style. Do you recommend that they try to gain some skills in the other style perspective? Like, so for, for you, you're, let's say more dominant influential. <coughs> Would you want to gain some skills in the, uh, analytical study side? And for me, would it be valuable for me to spend some time uh, and energy trying to gain skills on the opposite perspective? Would you say that, or should I lean into my strengths uh, from what I am more likely by tendency? You're not going to change who you are. So, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me for that. Um, <clears throat> your personality overall doesn't change. Mm -hmm. When I ask you to flex your style, it means that you're aware that what's going on across from you is different than what you have as a tendency. Mm -hmm. And that through that now, you pay attention to how you manage your style. That's all right. it is. But I wouldn't ask you to, as an example, you should go out there and just be a little more gregarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or try to be more demanding. Or mm -hmm. no. <coughs> yeah, it's, it's a big ask for a lot of people when they're pretty set into their Sorry. their categories. Like for sure, like I think, I think for me that that uh, being a more assertive would come easier than it would be to be like the uh, enthusiastic salesperson. At least for me personally, like that would be a much right. bigger hurdle. Like being assertive is, I feel like, yeah, that doesn't seem like as much of a challenge. It's just, yeah, be more assertive. It, it's it's a lot more basic than change your personality fundamentally so that yeah. you're more just start you're more enthusiastic so <coughs> start yeah. trying to be like somebody else no that's not good advice i don't want you to think that um changing a personality is necessary as much as adapting to being comfortable with what the other personality is doing yeah that yeah. it's not about you right and so the more you focus on that um and uh, even allow for it. Mm -hmm. um, you'll be far more influ influential if you allow the style that shows up in front of you to be its way. Right. And yet you're aware of how that, you know, that's just the style. That's just the type of person. But what you're staying focused on is what the intent of that communication is about. So it means you, you need to know what triggers you? Remember earlier when I was saying about, you know, make sure you 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 get what what irritates you. So if you've got a very dominant person talking to you, if you know that that is something that actually gets your back up or that you feel uncomfortable with so much so that you might feel that you won't even be effective, mm -hmm. that's the practice now you need to to have in mind is that recognizing the separation from and not being affected by that it's that person's way of being and then it's not about anything that you're doing right. or about anything that you're saying yeah it's a lot more challenging that's when tough when it's confusing to you the behaviors but once you start to understand it it's it's way easier um and one of the examples you were giving earlier about if you know that you're talking to somebody analytical you're gonna try to say things to them that you know that they're going to connect with, but you're not necessarily trying to be them. So you're not, you're not swinging your personality. All. You're still no. dominant influential, but you're also recognizing what they are and you're going to try to communicate to them so that they're going to be more motivated. But yeah, cause I, I did have a question about that. I was like, well, it kind of seemed like you're, you're somewhat adapting your, your style to meet the other person. But what it really is, is you're, 
adapting your approach, but not your personality. Is that, is that fair to say? Like you're totally, it's like, if I'm dealing with somebody who's influential though, like how would you say I could adapt my approach because they might respond more to the, the sale, the the more typical sales, uh, enthusiastic, like that type of, like where they, so isn't that a bit of a hurdle personality wise to like, all, no, all you want to be able to do is just, um, really engage them as the person. So again, you're the task. Always think of it this way. If I'm the task person, then, oh my God, and this is a people person. Okay. Let me engage them as the person first. Yeah. And I'll, I'll already have made progress. Right. As opposed to digging straight into what it is that you, you give room for the conversation even if it's uncomfortable to you, give room for how they like to be able to engage in whatever it is, then build into So it's going to take some patience on your part in terms of giving somebody the spotlight, if you will, because that's what they want. Um, and equal and opposite, quite often, again, depending on who has the need, mm-hmm. equal and opposite, I have to be patient with somebody who wants to give me every flipping detail about everything. that, yeah, And all yeah, I yeah. want to know is whether you can or can't. Right. So that's the sort of thing where we're flexing our style to accommodate what the need is on the other side in order for me to get what I want. Right. So I want service yeah. from you. Yeah. I want really good service from you. And actually, I want it faster than what you've been telling me you could do. Mm. So you start giving me all the details as to why you can't do it any faster. Now, if I just cut you off and I don't give you the credibility for that, then you'll just dig in harder with your heels because you just, or you'll feel like you're being backed up against the wall. Depending who's got the greater authority, it ends up being a yuck show. Right. If, yeah, that's why it's massive to learn more about what your style is. Because totally. I, I, I'll see people like that where they're throwing all sorts of details at me. And even if I am, I tend to be more analytical as well. Sometimes it's like, okay, nobody really, these aren't important. It's just like detail after detail after detail. And it's not super relevant. Um, but it's almost as if this person doesn't realize that other people don't connect with that. And so there's going to require some like introspection and self-awareness and some humility to say like, okay, well, I think my approaches don't connect with other people all the time. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's challenging though. Cause like you might realize it and I I might see things of myself of, well, that doesn't really work with these styles, but it's a constant progress of of trying to get better at those. And um, yeah, that's why I think it's, but there's the tactical part, right? There's, there's the, the the tactical part, which is the the part that you're going back and forth with, right? And mm-hmm. I don't I, I I don't ask to employ tricks. I I don't ask. Um, as an example, um, oftentimes people describe negotiation as manipulation, and this is the perfect time to talk about it because manipulation, if I'm deceiving you, is a bad thing. It, yeah. it doesn't feel good, and there is going to be some recourse to it. Yeah. If what I'm manipulating, now think about just based on everything we just said. If what I'm manipulating is I generally don't like to talk a lot or to put this, but you know what? I'm making an effort because it's what it's important to them. 
I'm actually doing it for a good reason. I am addressing because it makes you more comfortable. I am giving you what will make it easier for you to say yes to me. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of manipulation that negotiation is about, not deception. Right. But those that want to play tactics, i.e., I'm going to get up and say that I'm leaving and it's over, and you know, because I'm, you know, bluffing to see if you'll stop me or whatever. Yeah. Tactics don't always go well, and you start getting very used to people that want to do the last and final offer, or you know, shout you into a wall or something to that effect. You you start getting used to those things because that's tactical. But when I'm thinking strategically, mm-hmm. it means I got to remember why am I here in the first place? Like this isn't just about me being the better person between you and me. Mm-hmm. This is about me actually accomplishing what I came in to do in the first place. And if what I want is the best price for something, or if what I want is for you to lean in to do well or to do more for me than you will for another company, stay focused on that. And what will you do to actually have that person make that choice? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm responsible for, is making you be willing to do it. Right. So that's what it's about. That's do, not manipulation in the deception side. No. Do you, do you find people are tend to be way too short-term focused because they're not yes. looking past this deal. They're not looking past this conversation. It's like if you were focused a little bit more on the long term, then you can develop those relationships and approach your negotiations so that you don't uh, leave them feeling bad after this first negotiation. And you have great negotiations later where – you can do it way easier. It's just a quick handshake and you don't need to sign like thorough contracts That's with trust, people. Cause right? yeah, that trust is. And built. that is true for the kinds of relationships or negotiations you might need for further and for long term or for whatever mm-hmm. I'm offering to you that even with short term, even yeah, with sure. one offs, yeah. if you want the best outcome, handle it the same way. Yeah. Even even if you're never going to see that person again. Yeah. The reality is you're going to get more out of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you handle it that way. You'll get more out of them so from like a practical side it's it's better, but even from like a, a philosophical side, it's like do you really want to be out there right. being the manipulative no. negotiator? And it's like That's a sometimes <laughs> the yeah, people they hear negotiation and they might think that someone's trying to gain negotiation skills. And if they don't know too much about negotiation, they might assume, oh, like you want to be the type of person who can beat people in deals and get those wins. But what it's really about is trying to get that win-win. And so you have a, a long-term, long-lasting relationship. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people, they, they look at it from a, a short-term perspective. Uh, and, and, and even when it is short-term, you know the part where I was saying about um, – to trust, uh, there's got to be understanding before you can communicate. So I come into a situation, I know everything about my side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I do. Uh, but I really don't know everything that's true about your side. Yeah. So the, the biggest work that I have is to actually gain information from you, information that you really want to share with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're the one holding the cards that you can pick and choose what you tell me and what you don't tell me. That's why I work harder 
on ensuring that that trust is built or the rapport is built or that I'm easy to deal with or that I'm comfortable for you or rewarding in some way mm -hmm. just by the nature of how I'm handling you, yeah. that you provide information that is powerful for both of us. Mm -hmm. And so even when it is short term, how we actually manage that right from the get-go a lot of people walk into negotiations believing they know everything mm -hmm. and that's the worst mistake you can possibly make right just yeah. the worst yeah it seems also that like negotiation would be great to be coupled with like learning more about ethics because i think I, negotiation yeah. on the surface it's like you're communicating with somebody to get what you desire what you want but what is what you want negotiation itself is not good bad but it, it could be when these skills are placed in the hands of somebody who has bad intentions they have all the skills they all they have they know about the emotion the logic the persuasion they know the personality styles but their intentions might not be the best but i'd say you can't really control what people are going to do but if you yourself are a better negotiator you're probably going to be um and if you have good intentions, you'll be less likely to avoid those situations where you run into the car salesman that he doesn't care if he takes all your money. He's just trying to get the best deal out of it. But if you have the backup, you'll be way less likely to get taken advantage of. And um, yeah, I think negotiation, manipulation, there's a, a, they're, they're not too far apart, but it, it, it is a type of manipulation, but it's one where you're choosing effectively for the benefit of both of you. Right. That's how you have to look at it. Right. You know, if anybody told me that they don't manipulate their children, I'd, I'd say, right. let me just watch and it, you for a little It gets pretty while. tricky because it's like you're choosing for the benefit of both of you, but if you're coming yeah. without getting the understanding of where they're at, you might in your head be like, yeah, this is for the benefit of both of us, but you're deciding how? what's good for them. Right. <laughs> and so, so it it's like, how can that, how can that, how do you know that's actually good for them? Well, that's what they want when it's you, the one who picked it. Um, but yeah, that's why the, the questions and the, the understanding and, and the consideration, you know, like, I mean, with children, it's pretty easy that, you know, just having a, whatever it is you tell them to do, they don't want to do. So when you give choices, you've all of a sudden given up some of the control, mm -hmm. but you're the parent. So you're the one that in some way is creating what choice is, is fundamentally available to them. Right. And both any choice that they make is going to be okay because it's still serving what it is that you need. That is manipulative. Mm -hmm. And yet what you've done is you've satisfied that child. You haven't gotten into an argument. You are able to, you know, get on with whatever the, the end result was that you were requiring. And you did it in a way that shows respect. Now, Anybody that comes from a different, you know, potential might say, the heck would you waste all that time? And that's the thing. People will argue with you that it takes time and they don't have the time. This is our big thing nowadays in organizations, uh, in conversations, in connections, in relationship development. There just isn't enough time. Well, that's one thing you had better never be short of when it comes to negotiating. You have to pretend you have all the time in the world mm -hmm. because if you do at least operate with it that way, attitudinally you'll come to the right end result and it won't have taken as much time as it would have if you kept playing it the wrong way or mm -hmm. trying to take control or you know, overcoming it or cutting it off or doing things that are time oriented mm -hmm. because the more 
pressure you're under from a time point of view, the belief is the right. more you're, yeah. And people might try to put deadlines on you intentionally Absolutely. just to, to get that, that pressure. Absolutely. But yeah, I think all in all, like negotiation, there's, there's so many components and there's a lot of details and nuance to it. Um, one thing on like the personality style that I, I, I was reading the other day is that like there's the classic golden rule of like treat others how you want to be treated. But in negotiation, what it often is, is like treat others how they want to be treated and how they need to be treated in, in a lot of ways. If you want to get the best negotiation out of it is you can't just be treating them how you are. If I'm analytical, I can't treat you like that. You, you might not pick it up and vice versa. But uh, exactly. Yeah, I think no, it it's... is a good golden rule, and and it's it's one to um, treat them as they wish to be treated, which means you're fulfilling. You're actually it's called a an element of validation. You you're not making them wrong by being who they are. Mm-hmm. So if you start on that level, then you're not making them wrong even with the information they've got. You are working with it, mm-hmm. and that's the whole idea: is that learning to work with what somebody's got to offer you as opposed to defend against it or counteract it or justify your own. But negotiation is, it's an ego addresser, if right. you will, or yeah, attacker. A lot of the time what the deal is not like contingent on or what it's not made on is, is it's not about always about money is what it, on the surface it might seem like, okay, this is a money we're negotiating for dollars, but the biggest motivators are often the ego and, and how people are feeling. Um, yeah, I'm going to get them for this. Or, mm. Yeah, we, we, we have different, you, you used the word intention earlier, and I'm really glad you did because um, even when it comes to ethics, uh, there's an element of, of asking yourself, what's your intent with this particular deal, which is different than what's your objective and your you know high-level goal and your, your you know least favorite offer or whatever it might be. It, it, it's... It's what is the intention? What is it you're trying to get out of this? Do you want a long-term relationship? Are you looking for someone to be able to, you know, be entrusted into your organization? Or are you are you wanting to just, you know, get this deal done and uh, not have any residual effect? But a lot of times people's intention are negative, even mm. though their objective is sound, whatever they might be asking for. But their intention is to get them back mm. at something. Um, to be able to prove themselves as right, um, right. to look like the more important party. Um, and that's their intent, to make you look stupid, mm-hmm. um, to all those things that no one would ever voice. That's what I'm trying to do. But you just need to pay attention for the first 10 minutes of a negotiation, and you can easily tell what somebody's intention is and outside of what their objective or what they're trying to establish. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. And that's, that's because it's, it's one of the areas where eco can really empower and control and all of that can really come into play. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, doesn't there's, matter. There's so much to it. There's so much to a negotiation. And like, uh, yeah, for people out there listening, like, yeah, there's, there's a lot to digest. And um, I think everybody can constantly learn about this topic. And it's so valuable Huge. to learn because, like you said, it's not just a negotiating for salary, negotiating to buy a car, negotiating, it's negotiating with your children, it's negotiating <laughs> with your girlfriend, your husband, whatever it is, like this yeah. is going to come into play all the time. And it's such a valuable skill to learn. Um, and yeah, it's been a great conversation with you, Nelly, and I'm, I'm glad to have you here. 
And so. thank you for having me, Ollie. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>